0: there we go welcome to the tuesday night bible study we just prayed and now we're going to jump into the bible study first corinthians 13. Um, i said earlier to this group that's here it's probably the most popular chapter in this book of first corinthians maybe one of the two or three most well-known uh passages of scripture in the whole bible uh all 66 books so I got to give you the context, the little background of where we are uh, in First Corinthians. Paul the apostle is writing to this church in Corinth, which is in Greece. They are a church with a ton of problems. The pagan society's influence has bled into the church. They are allowing immorality to go on without looking at it. There are great divisions happening in the church. Satan is working to really damage this church. They're suing one another. When they come together for communion and the love feast, it's called agape feast, they are hoarding food for their rich buddies and not letting the poorer people eat. They're not waiting for the poorer people to get there. They're eating without them. All kinds of selfish stuff going on. The other thing is that this is a a church that is extremely gifted. The Holy Spirit has given so many gifts to this church, spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues, like prophecy, like a word of knowledge, like discernment. We went over those lists of gifts over a couple of weeks. The problem is they are majoring in the gifts, and the gifts have become a badge of honor where I've got the better gift than you, and oh, you don't have that gift, you poor guy, kind of thing, and they're sort of majoring way too much on the gifts, specifically speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit can give a person the ability to speak in a language that they do not know. It happens in Acts chapter 2 where people hear the gospel, God being praised for the gospel in their own languages. It's a total miracle. The Corinthian church has taken tongues to the extreme to where there's great disorder. And um, as I said, it's become too much of an emphasis on uh, tongues overall. Um, I want to just jump in at chapter 12. We're going to really pick up in chapter 13, verse 4. That's where we left off last time. But I can't really do this chapter justice without going back to 1230. So chapter 12 and 14 are all about the gifts, especially a lot about speaking in tongues, because that's a big problem in that church. So, in the middle of a discussion about spiritual gifts, chapter 12, chapter 14, comes chapter 13, which is all about love, which Paul is going to show them is way more important than any spiritual gift. And if you had every spiritual gift and didn't have love, you are a zero. You're nothing, he's going to say. Look at chapter 12, verse 30. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The obvious answer to those questions, of course, is no. Rhetorical question. Does everybody? No. Verse 31 introduces chapter 13. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way you want to talk gifts, he says, I'll show you the really good one. And it's all about love. It's not a spiritual gift like all the ones we listed before. Before we get into chapter 13, so I know that you who are here are awake. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Oh, wow, you are awake. That's like a pot of coffee. Those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake someone's holding up an amen sign, someone else is holding up a sign that says grated Parmesan cheese, which I so appreciate. I have no idea what that means. Chapter 13. So he's going to show them the more excellent way. Don't overdo it with the spiritual gifts. They're important, but love is more important. So chapter 13 is 13 verses. I don't usually do this. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Then we'll come back to the beginning. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men, or of angels but do not have love i'm only a re- only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love i am nothing not less nothing Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, to the flames, one translation has, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails, but Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, the completeness, another way to translate that word, when that which is perfect comes, what is in part disappears. Verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror or dimly a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 13 to do a little review before we dive into um, the chapter. No, you know what I want to do even before that? I want to mention that in the gift of the, sorry, the fruit of the Spirit uh, in Galatians 5. Now the fruit of the spirit is, and it lists, right? What's the first one? Love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Love is the first one. The Corinthians are thinking, how can you tell if somebody has the spirit? Well, what's their spiritual gift? Paul is saying the the most clear demonstration that a person has the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of love. We've said for two weeks in a row, I'll say it briefly this time, I promise. Love, contrary to movies, romance novels, and songs, love is not an emotion. You just have to feel it, not in the Bible. How do you know that? Because it's commanded. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. You can't command an emotion. I couldn't command you people, everybody be sad. Go out, do it. You could fake it, but everybody be happy. Those are emotions. So if it's not an emotion, it's not a a warm, fuzzy feeling, what is it? It's a verb. It's something you just do. Yeah, but I have to feel it. No, you just do loving things to people and you know what, the feelings will follow. That's the next thing. God has placed his love in the believer via the Holy Spirit. I'll show you that tonight in Romans 5. Um, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? Remember that? In the Gospels. He says there's really two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So boiling that down, the greatest commandment in the whole Bible is what? Love. Love. If you love God what comes with that is obedience right if you love others you won't commit adultery with them steal from them lie to them you don't even need the other commandments love sums up the bible god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life romans 13:9 don't turn there but it says all the commandments are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Romans 5.5, yeah, there it is. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. We have the capacity to do it via the Holy Spirit. On our own, the natural default position of humanity, listen, is to love the people that are good to me, my family, my friends, others, forget it. I wait to see, are you going to be good to me? Then I'll show you love. Christian love is totally opposite. God loves people who were his enemies so much that he sends his son to die for them. Um, So three divisions in this chapter, chapter, the necessity of love, verses one to three, the characteristics of love, four to seven, and the permanence of love. Um, Quickly, verse one, if I speak in that all these, by the way, one, two, and three, you notice they're all um, hypothetical, if, if, if. And he's also using what's called hyperbole, meaning extreme exaggeration to make a point. Verse one, if I have, I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, languages, tongues or languages, but I don't have love, all I am is making noise. That's what that verse says, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you've ever been to a symphony there's violins and there's cellos and trumpets and flutes and woodwinds and all kinds of instruments. And then at a special part, the cymbals sound, or at the end of some special piece of music, a gong sounds, but you wouldn't go to a concert and hear somebody for 45 minutes, right? Same with a gong. It's just noise, but it has its place. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, he's using great hyperbole. I've got it all spiritually, but I don't have love. That's where it says I am nothing. The whole purpose of the spiritual gifts, he said and we'll say again in this chapter, more in the next one, is to build up the body of Christ, to build up other Christians. It's not about me and my gift, it's about me using my gift to build up The Christians around me. Verse three. Well, what if I'm really generous? If I give all I possess to the poor, and I even give my body over to the flames to be tortured or great suffering done, hardship that I may boast. But I don't have love, I gain nothing. That's where we left off last week. We just dove in a little bit to verse four, but we'll review now. This is, you notice he never really defines love, he gives the characteristics of love. First of all, verse four, love is patient. King James has long suffering. Don't you love that term? Patience. The idea of the word in Greek is patience. Listen, not with machines or the weather, with people because people can be annoying. Can I get an amen and don't point at me, but you know what I'm saying. People can be annoying. Long-tempered, another word for it. This is the the characteristic that endures insults, endures endures, uh, injury and provocation with no resentment, no retaliation, no revenge, power over anger to put up with insults. It's the opposite of anger. God is patient. We're going to see before we're done, we're going to review this chapter and put the word Jesus in place of the word love. Or you could put God in there as well. God has been so patient with you. That is, folks, the key that unlocks your patience with others. When you remember how patient he's been with you, then it makes it easier um, to be patient with others. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit after love, remember? So humility is involved, gentleness, uh, forbearance to one another in love. I love that. First Thessalonians 5 14 says Admonish the unruly, encourage faint- the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men and women, right? It means all people. Okay. Um, I want you to keep your finger here and we're going to take our first detour, go to 1 Timothy chapter one. So from 1 Corinthians, take a right and you're going to go about seven books or so. They're short books though. 1 Timothy's right after the two Thessalonian books, which start, all start with T in that section. We're only going to be here a second. If you can't find it, that's okay. 1 Timothy chapter one, verse 16. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What's our example? That same patience Christ showed with you. Jesus did not call you and give you 10 days to respond to this offer or it's being revoked. Some of us, the offer was made, and we didn't respond for years, right? Me being one of them. Um, So the Holy Spirit enables this. Um, Have you ever heard this saying? What happened to you? Oh, I wouldn't put up with that. It's the opposite of patience, right? Uh, 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 Here's an odd way to look at patience. I'm just throwing this in at no extra charge. Patience with God. What do you mean patience with God? Do you ever really want something and pray about it? And in your mind, you might not say it, but you think I'll give you till Thursday at two to come through God. (laughs) Patience with God. Some of you have been praying for a loved one for salvation, or for some need or for some healing or something. And God is not a spiritual bellhop where you ring the bell and, yes, what can I do for you, Joe? Okay, here's my list, God. In his own time, in his own will, he answers prayer. We need to be as patient with him as he is with us. Patience with God. Okay, love is patient. Love is kind. Another fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. Okay, this is a characteristic like patience that you show in the way you react to people. Patience is, in a way, the flip side of kindness. Patience is me being calm and not retaliating with someone that's a jerk. Okay, I'll just be calm, but I'm boiling inside. Kindness is going out of my way to show that person, jerky or not. Kindness. What's kindness? Um, Patience is the passive side. Kindness is the active side. And it's all undeserved. Being good to somebody. Example. Remember Jesus's story? The good Samaritan. He did not know the injured man on the road. It's not, oh, look, it's my brother or my friend, Bill. He didn't even know him. Undeserved favor shown towards somebody. Grace. Same thing you were shown by God. Each of these are actuated when you remember how much kindness he's shown you. Did anybody have trouble finding water or food today to eat? That's a kindness. Every breath you take, every heartbeat, every muscle and cell in your body, if your eyes work and your ears work, thank God for those things. Uh. Like unless there's a symbol concert and then you're a little sorry, your eyes work. Okay. Um, let's see. Do we want to? Uh, no, we don't want to do that yet. Um, we'll do that in a second. But kindness is showing people love and goodness without, uh, without considering whether they deserve it or not. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Envy is jealousy. Envy and jealousy is me uh, being dissatisfied because somebody has something I want. Boasting is me sinning by boasting about the thing that I want that I have. They're sort of cousins. Um, So You can be jealous with somebody over what they have or an achievement they have. Did you know that Cain murdered Abel in Genesis because of envy, the Bible says, Genesis 4. Um, Matthew 27, 18, Pontius Pilate says the weirdest thing. Remember, the Jews are coming to him, crucify him, and you guys crucify him. You do whatever you want. No, we can't crucify him. Well, then I'll have him whipped. No, no, crucify him. Pontius Pilate says in Matthew uh, chapters 27, verse 18, he knew that they, the Jews, had handed him over because of envy. You say, what, what did they envy? Jesus was drawing the big crowds. Jesus was able to do miracles. Every time they tried to stump him with a question, he stumped them with his question back or his answer. They were envious of him, his popularity. They couldn't do what he did. They wanted what he had. The ironic thing is he was offering them as well, the salvation, the peace, the Holy Spirit, eternal life, but they didn't want it on his terms. They wanted it Burger King salvation. Do you know what that is? Have it your way. I want it my way, Frank Sinatra salvation, my way. Okay. Envy um, is an ugly thing. Um, And the other side of it, as we said, is not bragging or boasting. Um, So this is the person that might have gifts and you never know about it. They don't boast about it. They don't tell you about it. They don't talk about themselves. I told you that in my family, we have a saying, two types of people, faucets constantly talking, talking, usually about themselves. Sponges, sponges, listen. If you squeeze the sponge, you get some water out of it, but it's the sponge isn't going to squirt you like the faucet will with talking, talking, usually about themselves. So no boasting. I can't resist going to Ephesians 2. So from 1 Corinthians, if you went back there, take a right and go three books to the right right after 2 Corinthians and then after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. One of the key verses for Christian salvation explained in a very short passage. For how have you been saved? It is by grace, meaning undeserved. Uh, Unowed, undeserved. For it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, you can't earn it, so that no one can what? Boast. Because if you could earn it, and you did, you could boast. Isn't it beautiful that Christianity, unlike Islam, unlike Mormonism, unlike Jehovah's Witnesses, unlike virtually ever the world religion, is not D-O, do this and you can live up and earn it do the five-fold path of Islam and you can earn salvation do the eight-fold path of Buddhism getting rid of all your desires and you've earned uh that eternal state whatever it may be it's so fuzzy in Buddhism it's kind of a joke Christianity is not D-O it's D-O-N-E was that N backwards I think it was D-O-N-E those of you on Zoom those letters were really backwards um It's done. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I were supposed to live, sinless, died the horrible death you and I deserve, and he offers us his righteousness in exchange for our sin and guilt. His gold for our garbage. What a deal. Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. By the way, why are these things be in there? Two reasons. Number one, they're true, but they totally are pinpoint accuracy, hitting the bullseye of what's wrong in Corinth. These people are not patient. They're not being kind to one another. They are envying each other's gifts, each other's stuff. They're suing each other. They are boasting. That's why these things are here last part of verse 4, it is not proud. Pride, is, especially spiritual pride, is a major sin in the Bible. Um, uh, King James has vaunteth not itself. I love that. I haven't said the word vaunteth, I don't think, for at least an hour. Okay, just kidding. Um It's not proud. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not self-focused. It doesn't have a big head. Um, The king, the example, and the king of pride and arrogance is Satan. In Isaiah uh, 14 and Ezekiel 28, we learn how did an exalted cherubim angel become a fallen angel named Satan? pride, pride, pride. I will be like the most high God. I will ascend to the heavens. I, I, I. Satan's a faucet. He's not a sponge. So, um, have you noticed this about people that boast? That they are telling you how great they are, and it's tempting to think, Harold here is constantly boasting. It's so annoying. He's so arrogant. He's so Conceited. I got news for you. I think people that boast like that chronically are insecure. Otherwise, why would they need to boast? If they're secure in themselves and their relationship with God, you don't need to be telling people how great you are. In, uh, I'm a musician, and with musicians, it's a well-known thing among professional musicians. Anyone that says, I'm really good, never is. I'm really good on the guitar. I'm a really good singer. I'm a really good drummer. They never are because they're insecure. Does that give you an excuse to not love them? No. The same people you're called to love might not be patient or kind. They might be envious. They might be boastful and proud. Got to love them. Well, what's the limit to who I have to love? How about this one? Love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's an amazing higher standard than any other religion or philosophy that there is. Verse 5, what else does love do? It it does two things. It's patient, it acts patient, it acts kindly, patiently and kindly. And then it says it doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't act proud in a proud way. Verse 5, more of what it doesn't do, it does not dishonor others. Some translations have behave unseemingly, kind of a general uh, term or or behave disgracefully. These are the people that are creating divisions there in that church, allowing immorality, lawsuits, selfishness. Um, So uh, let's see, go back to verse 5. Doesn't dishonor our uh, uh, others um, or act uh, uh, unbecomingly. It is not self seeking you know that's the default position of humanity me first right go for all the gusto you can if it feels good do it self-seeking how upside down the kingdom of god is where we are galatians 6 2 to bear one another's burdens well i already bear my own burdens i know you do so do i We're supposed to be bearing one another's burdens, considering one another more important than ourselves. Christianity is always upward-focused and outward-focused. Have you ever heard the J-O-Y acronym for Christianity? Great joy in Christianity is J-O-Y. J, Jesus first. O, others. Vertical, horizontal, and then inward, yourself. Um, let's see. Okay, so we're moving on. Self-centeredness. Now stay in First uh, Corinthians with your finger, but go to Philippians. So from Galatians, uh, from there, go write about five books. Past Galatians, past Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Here is this uh, not self-seeking really spelled out. uh, Sorry, Philippians chapter 2. I'll give you a second to find it. Um, And do we want verse 3 and following? I think we do. Yes, 3 to 5, but we could really read this whole chapter. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That shouldn't be your motivation for any action you do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourself verse 4 each of you should look not only to your own interests but also the interest also to the interests of others in the church body mary nichols problem is all of our problem, whether you realize it or not. Joe's problem is all of our problem. We ought to be sharing one another's burdens, hence the need for the list for prayer requests that we're all, oh, that's too bad for her. No, I don't look at that way. We need to be praying for that person because it's it's our need as well as hers. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, I, I can't do that. You're right. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, to the extent that you and I submit to him instead of resist him, that power is available to live this way, to love this way, to be this selfless. Jesus, verse 6, was in very nature God, and he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word means held on to or clung to. He was willing to let it go and make himself nothing, verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant this is second person of the trinity being willing to be a servant if you're not willing to be a servant your lord was what's the problem taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man verse 8 he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross what happens to that kind of person exaltation look at verse 9 therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name Okay, we could go on. I could spend all night in that chapter, but we need to get back to reality here. In the 1980s, how many remember Whitney Houston? Okay. Um, She did a song that um, George Benson had recorded first. And when you first hear the song, if you don't have your Christian brain on, you think, oh, this is beautiful. It starts out... I believe the children are our future. Oh, I'm already in. I like the song already. Beautiful melody. And then she gets to the chorus which says learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And eh, wrong. That is so so satanic, so humanistic. Learning to love yourself. Listen, as sinner Joe in 1979, if I kept loving myself, I would have never dealt with all the sin in my, let God deal with all the sin in my life. God will accept me. I love myself just the way I am with the alcohol and the drugs and the lust and the. Learning to love yourself, folks, is not the greatest love of all. Jesus defines, did you know this? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There it is. You say, Well, you see, I'm supposed to die for other people? Maybe, but not necessarily. Laying down your life means being willing to put them ahead of you. Jesus put us ahead of himself and said, I'm willing to die for them. The greatest love of all is in the form of a cross, the vertical and the horizontal meet in the person of Jesus Christ, who took our sin and guilt for us. Unbelievable love. Um, so yeah, learning to love yourself. I mean, is there a place for that? I suppose some of us have such complexes and guilt things, and but learning to love yourself isn't the greatest love of all. Loving God, loving others, is way more important, because it's easy to be self-focused. Um, okay, let's keep rolling. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, I wasn't sure. On Zoom, good, looks like people are awake. Occasionally on Zoom, you see this. That's when I know I need to step it up a little. Um, love does not, uh, it, it does not. Dishonor others, verse five. It is not self seeking. Here's a tough one it's not easily angered. You ever know people that have a short fuse? They can just be totally going along well and just blow. Don't be punching your spouses, girls and boys. Some people have a short fuse. Um, This is uh, James says, let every person be slow to hear. I'm sorry, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James one. Um, love is not provoked. One translation um, has for this um, easily angered. A person that's provoked, they all they walk around with a little chip on their shoulder, and anything can set them off. Again, the example, Jesus Christ. He's tried with seven different trials. He is whipped, beaten, crucified as a totally innocent human being fully god yes and fully man both representative of heaven on earth and he's patient to the point on the cross he says i still can't believe he says this father forgive them they don't know what they're doing wow this is the power in that person of jesus christ could have zapped them into the next century all of them if he wanted before they even grabbed their whips took the took the pain for you and i um let's see um this is the person that is always blowing a fuse they're always offended um let's see chispa and Don told me Don told me but chispa found it i think um, about that book with the orange cover unoffendable right what a great book If you have that problem of being easily offended and easily angered, read that book written by a Christian guy. Very well, well done. Um, Moses is kept out of the promised land because he became provoked or angry at the people of Israel. Do you remember? It's a serious sin. Okay, this is a really good one. Love keeps no record. I'm at the end of verse five. It keeps no record of wrongs, keeps no record, no ledger, no, don't be the person that says, oh yeah, well, September 3rd, I have it right here, 2007, you know what you said to me? Let it go. Here's the thing, if you keep a record of all the wrongs done to you and they will happen because you live in them you live amongst a bunch of sinners, even in a church, right? None of us are perfect except the Lord we serve. If you keep a record of every wrong people did to you, because you're a Christian, you can't take revenge so you know what that means? It'll either come out of your mouth and what you say, little digs against the person, or it'll eat you alive. It'll eat at your soul. Forgive. Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer with an addendum. Do you remember in the, toward the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our sins, our debts, as we, the same way that we forgive others. Then the prayer ends, and then the next line in Matthew 6 says, for Jesus explaining it, if you don't forgive your brother when he sins, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Keeping a record is not forgiving. Oh, I've forgiven John for what he did to me, but I still remember it. I'll never forget it. You haven't forgiven him, right? God forgave you. All sins, past, present, future. We still confess as we sin, but he forgave you everything. Let me ask you, whatever John did that was so bad, sorry to pick on you, John, whatever he did that was so bad, is that worse than the cumulative total of your lifetime of sin that you sinned against God? All sin is a sin against a sin against God in heaven, the Bible says. Which is greater? Well, it's greater what I've done, all my sin against God. If he can forgive that, why can't you who are forgiven, forgive whatever he did? Very important that we don't keep a record of wrongs. And we do this, don't we? And in arguments, these things tend to pop up. Oh, yeah, will you? Oh, yeah, will you let it go? Because it'll eat you alive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Thinks no evil, one translation have. No dwelling on it. um, The kind of forgiveness that doesn't even remember the offenses. Um, By the way, when you get to heaven, and if you're a believer, you will. And when you meet Jesus, here's what not to do, because it's not necessary. Oh Jesus, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, thank you. By the way, I'm really sorry for what I did. November nineteenth, nineteen ninety-six, or two thousand fifteen. He's going to say, "I don't even remember what you're talking about." Why are you remembering what I forgot and forgave? Um, Jeremiah fifty twenty, predicting the New Testament and the New Covenant and Christianity. Jeremiah fifty twenty, God talking: "For I will forgive their iniquities; that's sin, and will remember their sins no more." He'll remove our sins, the Old Testament says, as far as the east is from the west. And no, I don't know if this is east or west. I'm not one of those people with a compass in my head. Um, Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? Well, first of all, on on a personal level, when you and I were sinners and were unsaved, we delighted in evil, our own sin. How do you know that? Because you wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun, and you didn't think it was good, and you liked it, and you delighted in evil. The world celebrates evil. If you don't believe me, watch TV, excuse me, and movies, and even commercials. They delight in evil, but don't delight even in the evil of others. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. I've got a grudge against my buddy John here, what he did to me, Oh, did you hear about John? No. What happened? Oh, he got in a car wreck. Oh, good. No. How bad was it? Oh, I'll pray for him. That's why I want to know. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney, right? Don't delight in... Love does not delight in evil. Um, let, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor or Hate what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Um, Okay, so love doesn't do this. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in or with the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Okay, what do you mean by the truth? Whatever is real, whatever is true, it rejoices in it. The Bible is God's truth. Our Savior said he was the way and the truth, right? We rejoice in goodness. We rejoice in the truth. Um, Don't rejoice in the uh, uh, misfortunes of others. Hold fast to that which is good. Um, Let's see, verse six. Love doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. Verse seven, it always protects. Um, This is a word for covers in the Greek. This is a beautiful picture. Instead of um, exposing somebody and shaming them publicly, you might go to them privately. um, Love, listen, 1 Peter 4.8, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of, of sins. Beautiful. Bear one another's burdens again, Galatians chapter six. Uh, Example from nature. Anybody probably wouldn't be a man, but any women own pearls or know how pearls are formed? In an oyster shell, somehow something abrasive and painful gets into the shell. Which will damage the creature inside of the shell. You with me so far? It can't expel it. So, out of its own body, it covers that annoyance, that painful thing, and makes it something beautiful, a pearl. Kind of a cool uh, example from nature. Um, Love is always eager to believe the best and see the best. Look at, go back to verse seven. It always protects. Always trusts. Have you met people that are skeptical about everything and everyone? Understandable with some people because in their past, they've been injured. My friends and I, when we were growing up, we um, had a term for this called a scarred heart meaning a person that has been so hurt in their life through no fault of their own in some cases, whether it was their parents or friends or people betrayed them or things just happen in their lives and they've gotten a scarred heart where it's hard to penetrate that heart. This is the opposite of that. This is the person that always trusts. Again, you say, yes, but I'm one of those people. I've had people hurt me, betray me. Amen. Probably we all have. How do we get to this point? Jesus Christ. Betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. And the other 11 weren't much better. The head of the other 11 said three times, I don't even know Jesus. I'm not one of his disciples. Betrayed him, denied him. They all abandoned him. And so when they see him... after the resurrection, I'm expecting him to say, you guys all suck. I'm getting 12 new apostles. I'll find some different dudes. Get lost. You all flunk the test. What does he say? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, yes. Redundant. Do you love me? Why three times? Yes. Shepherd my flock. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Ten my sheep. Why three? Because he denied him three times. That's grace. Has somebody betrayed you three times or 30 times? Love overlooks. Love always trusts. Love, verse 7, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's take those two after our two minute break to stretch our aging bones. Gene brought some treats back there, help yourselves. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know, though that's really important. Those of you on Zoom, I'll be right back in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. Everybody's eating cookies. And those of you that should have showed up in person, you could be having a cookie right now, but you're not. Find your seats, if you will, Uh, we're back in 1 Corinthians 13, this is a rich chapter. As I said two weeks ago when we started it, or last week, this is one of those on vacation, you get out of the car and really look around. That's what we're trying to do. Love, verse 7, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always hopes has the idea of somebody that is optimistic, Are you a pessimistic Christian? It's easy to be one in 2023, the way the United States of America is being run politically. You see the the cities going downhill with crime, with all kinds of sin becoming um, in the forefront. I get discouraged when I see that. Listen, does that mean God's not on the throne? No. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the last days, men will call, listen to this, good evil, and evil, good. Aren't we seeing that? It's unbelievable, right? And I think this has happened throughout history, but I feel like on the graph, it's just accelerating. Men calling good, evil, and evil, good. Uh, There's so much going on. God's still in control. Confidence in the future. Hopes, all things are always hopes. Um, I hope in, listen, I don't hope in Washington, D.C. They're going to work it out there. Maybe. I hope. I do what I can. I hope in the God of the universe and in his promises. Amen. They're still in the Bible. They're still true. Can you say, are you still awake? Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah, but you got a cookie in your mouth. It wasn't as loud. Those of you at home without a cookie, wave or say amen. I see the amen sign. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. Uh, Let's see. We already talked about that. perseveres, always perseveres. Keep your finger here and go to Hebrews 12. So that's way toward the back, but not not real far back. Right before the book of James and right after all those T-letter books uh, comes Titus, Timothy, all those. And then Um, eventually, Hebrews chapter 12, while you're turning there, I'll tell you that, and you already know this, of course, to persevere means to keep on keeping on, right? Keep on going. Um, This is the person that circumstances don't affect their faith, that the love continues irregardless of circumstances because of what we've been given. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we, this is talking to believers, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Christianity is not a sprint, right? It's, It's a marathon. Ups and downs, we just keep on keeping on like the Energizer Bunny. Remember those commercials? It just keeps going and going. Verse 2 of Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author or starter of and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured. He was persevering the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured opposition for sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christianity in the world, listen, in your life, if you think of your life like a sports game, like a baseball game, it can seem sometimes like the score of your life is 23 to 2, you're losing. If you're a believer, no, you're not. By the time the end of the ninth inning comes and either your life ends or Christ returns one of the other, right? Whichever comes first, as they say, then suddenly you will see that you have won in a way that was 1,000 to 21 because of Christ, right? Okay. Um, Go back to verse four with me. I'm going to replace the word love for the word Jesus. Ready? Jesus is love patient. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Heck, he gave himself up for you and me, right? Jesus is not easily angered. Man, am I thankful for that one. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Asterisk. What do you mean asterisk? For unbelievers, there's books in heaven. Read Revelation 20. Books are open. Every single thing that an unbeliever ever said, did, or thought that was against God's will, against the word of God, is remembered in heaven and judged, not yours. The book with your name in it in heaven Under sin, it says, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, are they crossed out to where you can still read them? No, they're not there. God's got really good whiteout. You can't even see what was there before. Beautiful. Um, Okay. Sorry, I took a little detour there. Love keeps no record. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Verse six, Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, which leads me to verse 8. Love never fails. The word for fails is literally the word fall, meaning to something fell down, it, was, it failed at doing what it was supposed to do. Um, I won't do this now. Well, let me do it. Why not? Um, go back to verse 4 again. Insert your name for the word love. We'll pick on Jim Foster this time. Jim Foster is patient. Jim is kind. Jim does not envy. Jim's wife is laughing right now. No, I'm just kidding. Let's put my name in there. My wife's at home watching on Zoom, laughing. Joe is patient. Yeah, right. Joe is kind. Not always, but this is something to strive for, isn't it? In the power of the Holy Spirit, Okay, we won't go through the whole list with your name because it would take a while with all these names. Love, verse 8, never fails. Now, this is a new section where he's going to talk about the permanence of love. And what is he going to compare it to? In the Corinthian church, they think spiritual gifts are it, man. And he's going to show them love lasts forever. There will come a time when spiritual gifts will be no more. As well, there'll come a time when even shockingly see the last verse now these three remain faith hope and love have you ever thought about this in heaven in the eternal state face to face with god face to face with face to face with jesus christ with only believers sin has all been judged satan has been judged all sinners have been judged only believers only god only the holy spirit no sin nature you don't need faith in heaven. You don't need hope. I hope. What do you hope for? It's all here now. What are you faithful might happen in the future? Faith is something you don't see that you believe will happen or that is true. In heaven, you will not need faith. You will not need hope. But love goes on forever. For the brethren, other believers, of course, love for God and Jesus Christ. Okay. Love Never fails. You say, "Yeah, but uh, you know, I was in a relationship, and the p- other person said they loved me, or my parents said they loved me, and they did this and that, and this guy my, was said he loved me, and that—that's not Christian love. This is the definition of real, authentic love. We said last week there's four words for love in Greek, very descriptive language. This is agape, the highest kind of love, selfless. Unconditional love that doesn't ask for anything in return, love that just gives of itself God, the ultimate example, and Jesus Christ. Love never fails. You might say love never stops, it never ceases, it never ends, it never falls. So um, now he's going to make a contrast, but where there are prophecies, They will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. The things they valued so much, there it is tongues, knowledge, all these spiritual gifts, prophecy, all will cease one day. Will there be any need for speaking in tongues in the eternal state in heaven? I can't think of one. Well, maybe someone's there who doesn't speak. I think we'll all speak the same language again. Will there be a need for prophecy or knowledge? No, because we'll know as we're fully known. Uh, Whole different thing. Now, um, uh, we know in part, we prophesy in part, verse 9. I want to skip ahead and then we'll come back. But when that which is perfect, verse 10, or completeness comes, what is incomplete or imperfect or in part disappears. Some scholars think, quite a few, that what he's talking about there is the, is the full writing of the New Testament, 95 AD-ish, apostolic era, a few people are shaking their heads. Now, was that a milestone in Christianity? Yes. Prior to that, the reason the traditions are passed on orally at this time when he's writing this is because they don't have... Each of them a Bible. There isn't even a. It's being written as they speak. First Corinthians is one of the earlier books of the Bible to be written. Um, when it's completed, is the Bible perfect? Yes. But is the Lord Jesus perfect? Yes. Is heaven perfect? Yes. Which is he speaking about? So there are some that say all the gifts cease as soon as the Bible's done, 95 A.D. Problem with that is if you read this verse. No more prophecy, which, don't forget, is not mainly the foretelling of future. Prophecy is two words in Greek. I said last week it means to speak forth, to speak to people, okay? With regard, not, about, not a lecture about Tupperware or anything. It has to be biblical, right? So in that sense, your pastor, when he gives a sermon, is speaking forth the word of God. He's prophesying right? It's, he's passing on what God gave him either directly, if that's the gift, or from the Word, which is what I, you're seeing me do. I'm throwing it out there to you. Will there be no prophecy after 95 AD? No teaching of the Word? No, no. That, that doesn't make sense. There'll be no more knowledge. It'll pass away. It will pass away. Is that when it passes away? I don't think so. There is in the Greek, on the other side of the equation, um, people like John MacArthur and others that point out that in the Greek, in verse, let's see, verse eight, that different words are used for tongues versus the word that's used in, in, in a New American standard. And in the Greek, it's right, done away with is what happens to prophecy and knowledge done away with, um, meaning somebody stopped it. God would be the one that stopped it. But the word for, um, tongues, it says, um, will pass away, I believe, right? I think I have it in my notes somewhere. In any case, fade away on their own is the kind of, uh, meaning there. As I've told you, Uh, I don't believe that tongues are normative and extant in the world today the way they were in the first century. I just don't think you could make that case. It's interesting, tongues are mentioned in Acts, briefly, chapter 2. Tongues are only mentioned here, in first corinthians not in galatians ephesians philippians colossians romans hebrews first and second thessalonians first and second timothy first and second peter first john second john third john jude no tongues almost like it was already ceasing writings of the second century the church fathers you don't see him talking about tongues could god still though give somebody that gift yes Who am I to say, and God can't do that, and I said so. I'm not God. Could he do it? Absolutely. Probably does he? Yes. On a mass scale, no. There's a famous story. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was going on a mission with a whole team to China to spread the gospel. Somebody asked him, are you guys studying Chinese? He said, no. We have the gift of tongues. When we get there, it's all going to work out. They got there, didn't work out. They didn't get the gift to start speaking. That would be nice. It may be that it's a first century thing to give credence to all the different nations hearing the gospel that it was true. That's why there were signs and wonders. You'll see that in the notes if you get the notes via email, by the way. Um, okay. Um, keep your finger. Uh, no, it's too early to do that. No, let's not do that now. Sorry. Talk amongst yourselves while the teacher figures out what he's going to say next. Um, Yeah, we talked about that. Um, Have you noticed that things are ascribed value according to how long they last? I'm going to give you an example in a second. But think about that. Things that last a long time that are that durable are more valuable than things that you throw away. A paper cup is not as valuable as fine, you know, crystal or something, a glass or a bowl or whatever. Imagine if I said, I will give you your choice, a 7,000 square foot mansion or a 1,000 square foot little cottage. Now you think, really? Okay, I'll take the mansion. Oh, the mansion is made out of cardboard. But it's really nice. The house, though, is made out of wood and stucco and sheetrock. And now, which is the better one? Why don't you want the bigger place? No, it's not going to last. Cardboard with the the snow and the rain we just had. Can you imagine your soggy little house? And we're in our little cottage. <laughs> Look at that. The, the Jeffreys are about to going, Yes, we can imagine. Poor guys. They got hit with that storm very, in a big way. Okay. Um, So the point is, and we can argue about, well, when do the gifts cease and when don't they cease and which one ceased and which one hasn't ceased? The point Paul's making, uh, the broader point is um, love is durable. It lasts forever. Even the gifts, as valuable as they are, and he's going to say how valuable they are in chapter 14 and in 12 they eventually will cease the thing that lasts the longest love will still be loving in heaven vertically god horizontally other believers so those things prophecies tongues are going to be stilled though its knowledge it'll pass away four and he's going to explain in verse 9 we know in part and we prophesy in part what does that mean it means that god has this verse and the next one um God has given us, don't misunderstand this. God has given us everything we need to know in the Bible. The things that are, are you're saying we know everything? Heck no. How did God create the world by speaking? I intend to watch that DVD when I get to heaven and I don't understand it, but he spoke. Let there be stars, and they just happened, right? I don't understand all kinds of things. I don't understand the resurrection. I just know he was dead and he is alive forevermore, praise God. But what we need to know, we have in the Bible. God did not watch men put the Bible together and in heaven go, oh, they left out 1st Judas chapter 9. Oh, they left out the book of Mary. Those idiots, I should have told Mary to really publicize her book. Listen, we have God's word Just the way he wanted it. That's why the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the last chapter, one of the last verses says, Don't mess with my book. Well, it doesn't say that exactly, but it says, Don't add to or subtract from this book. Does that mean Revelation? Yes. I think it means the whole Bible. Don't mess with my word. The Bible is not, listen, a smorgasbord. I like Ephesians 2. No, Ephesians 5 isn't for me. I like the turkey. I'm not going to eat the fish. It's, it's all we're supposed to teach and believe the whole counsel of God. What we need to know, we know. Is But we only know in part that's true. There's a lot more we're going to learn in heaven. Amen. But for now, we have enough. And we have enough information and enough proof that it's true. So, and we prophesy, we teach in part. That means that your pastor, the teacher of this Bible study especially, is fully aware that when he gets to heaven, he might hear you were wrong on the following things. And you might want to sit down, Joe, because it's going to take a while to go through. And I'm going to say, you know what, Lord, I did my best. And he's going to go, I know you did. However... A is for, B is for all the things that I was like, oh, I'm sorry I got that wrong. I believe that's true for the greatest scholars. Nobody knows it all, amen? If they do, they're boasting and that's a sin. Okay, um, Paul wants to get their eyes off the signs and wonders. Do you know what Jesus said about signs and wonders? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. He's not saying that like, way to go. He's saying, you shouldn't need that. He does them to prove his message is true, but he's saying, don't put too much emphasis on that. Listen to what he says. Listen to the word. Um, Yeah, we talked about that. Um, So back to the text, and hopefully you're still awake. I won't ask again. Um, We know in part, we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when that which is perfect. When completeness comes, what is in part is no longer needed, so it disappears. Do you know that the Bible says that of all the things you see in your lifetime, there's only two categories that are eternal, not cars, houses, boats, diamonds, trees. The two things are the Word of God stands forever. You won't have Bibles in heaven, absolutely we'll have the living word right with us what's the other one the people which people all the people the believers look around the room look on zoom look at your screens believers are eternal they're going to live forever in heaven right what about unbelievers this is the bad news for unbelievers is they too are eternal. You mean the body? No, the spirit is eternal. They're going to spend eternity somewhere with Christ in heaven or in hell, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a godless, Christless, joyless, loveless eternity. Well, you know, I don't believe in a God that would send people there. They send themselves no thank you, don't want Jesus. They're writing their ticket. And God can call them and call them, but if they don't respond, that's where they go. By the way, they wouldn't be happy in heaven anyway. And they wouldn't fit with a sinless place to go besides. Okay. Uh, Do we want to read those verses? I think we're okay. But nobody wants the cardboard mansion, huh? Going once, going twice? No. Okay. Um, how complete is the Bible? 2 Peter 1 3. We have all things pertaining to life and godliness. Where? In the Bible. All things that we need, we have it. You're saying the Bible has all knowledge? No. It's not a physics textbook, it doesn't say anything false about physics. It's not a cosmology textbook, but it's interesting. It says that God um, sits over the sphere or circle of the earth. How did they know that way back then? Pretty amazing. We have all we need. We know in part, but we will know in full. But how deep is the knowledge we could have in heaven? Romans 11, 33, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are uh, his ways, how how his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer, nobody fully, right? But we have enough information. We have everything God wanted us to know. Colossians 2, 3 about Jesus says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Awesome. The beautiful thing about the Bible is it is so, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple. It's like a pond of water this deep that a two-year-old can wander in and get it. And yet it's so deep and profound the gospel that the smartest theologian who ever lived can't put on scuba gear and get to the bottom of the ocean of the beauty of the Bible. Pretty amazing thing. Okay, we're moving on. <clears throat> Verse 11, he's going to make an analogy. Keep in mind, well, who's he writing to? These immature baby Christians verse verse 11 when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child when i became a man i put away i put the ways sorry of childhood behind me put away childish things why is that there he's saying you people in corinth are acting like little spoiled Kids with your, I speak in tongues and you don't. And I have prophecy and you don't. And his gift's better than hers and hers is better than his. And grow up. Remember Joan Rivers? Oh, grow up. Okay, sorry. So that's why 11 is there. Maturity. I'm going to regret saying that. Okay. Um, uh, Let's see. Um, Verse, let's see. I think I skipped a verse, didn't I? No? Oh, no, here it comes. Verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. You should know that Corinth was one of the places in the world where they made and exported, they were known for this, mirrors. You mean like the mirror that I have in the bathroom? No. Polished bronze, polished silver, where you kind of see a reflection. They weren't very good. Okay. The mirrors that we have today, excuse me, made out of glass. Unfortunately, if you're old like me, show the real you, right? Blemishes and all. And then ladies have those weird mirrors that where you turn the light on, and your nose looks like it's about this big, and you can see every little pore, and you go, "Oh gosh, turn that off." Mirrors were just a dim reflection; you could kind of see, like on the side of a uh, a fridge that's um, you know not white. But okay, now we see only in a reflection as a mirror. Listen, that means we understand enough to be saved. Don't worry about that. <clears throat> we understand enough about we're sinners. Yes but in heaven, eventually in the eternal state, then we shall see face to face. You mean with each other? Not primarily. I mean, face to face is a term that's used over and over in the Old Testament about Moses saying to God, for example, I want to see your face. And God says, you can't see my face and live. You're a sinner. I'm not. It would kill you, see me in my totality. I'll tell you what though, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and you'll just see my backside as I pass by. Do you remember that? What's interesting about that is how can Moses see God? Only if there's a break in the rock and he can hide him in that break. Jesus is our rock who was broken for us. Okay, that's a whole different lesson. That's not why we're here, but I'm throwing it in at no extra charge if you order now. Then we shall see face-to-face, God face-to-face. If that happened today and God showed up face-to-face here, we'd all be dead. It's it's too bright. It's like looking at the sun. But in heaven, no sin, no guilt, no sin nature will be able to look on his face. And you'll see in that face the kind of love you never saw on planet earth awesome can't wait then we'll see face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully as i'm fully known i don't think our brains could contain the nature our spirits the the information download would fry our little tiny computers right some are smaller than others in the computer department but the point is, we will eventually know. But it's time to grow up and value the things that last. Our faith, our hope, our love, but the greatest is love, he's about to say. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, not tongues, prophecy, and discernment. Those are all good, faith, hope, and love. Faith in what happened in the past that will affect the hope for the future and the love that is behind that, the motivation for spiritual gifts, the motivation for our salvation. God so loved us, that's why he saved us. That kind of love is supposed to be absorbed vertically and then shined out. We're supposed to be shining it out horizontally. And whenever you stop and go, yeah, but he doesn't deserve it. You got to remember, it didn't, wasn't deserved coming this way. Why do you think it has to be deserved going out? Okay. Beating a dead horse, Joe, move on. All right. I am. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. um, keep your finger here and go to 1 Corinthians 14. That's really close by. 1 Corinthians 14, the next... Chapter. Oh, I'm still in Hebrews. Sorry. First Corinthians 14. Interesting verse. Look at verse 20. First Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like kids, like children. In regard to evil, be as innocent as babes or be infants. But in your thinking, be like Joan Rivers, grow up, be be adults. Um, uh, We'll we'll get that in the next chapter. That next verse is so interesting about tongues. But anyway, by the way, 14 is going to be all about uh, tongues when we get there next week. Um, So the big three, faith, hope, and love, not miracles, power, and gifts. What are you focusing on? Focus on the important things. now go to 1 Thessalonians. You say, boy, we're turning a lot of pages. It's good exercise for your fingers, and it keeps you awake. 1 Thessalonians, in those books with all start with T, before the Timothy books comes 1 Thessalonians. What chapter, Joe? Chapter 1, and then chapter 5. Real quick. Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. We continually remember before our God and Father your work, produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Do you see them? The big three. All three. Now, in same book, 1 Thessalonians, go to chapter 5 with me just for a second. And look at verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Love is a fulfillment of the law. Interestingly, when Jesus says greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, you think, yay, that's great. You know what the next verse says? If you love me, in other words, if you're my friends, you will keep my commandments. Meaning what? Obedience proves you love him. You can't say, First John is all about this. You can't say, oh, I love God. Why aren't you obeying him? Oh, I love him. But he understands if you love him, you obey him. The one you love, your spouse, your whoever it is, you want to please them. I loved my parents. I wanted to please them. I love my wife. I want to please her. She wants to please me. You, that's part of it, is wanting to please the one that you love. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, he died for us. And we already talked about that. Okay, so interestingly, <clears throat> the greatest of these is love. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. You think we're done with love? Follow, pursue the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now he's back to the discussion of gifts, but he can't leave love without saying, that's the one to chase after. Um, Desiring gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, the verb there is plural. What do you mean? It's like saying, you all, as a church, should desire that gifts are manifested and used in your church. He's not saying individually to people, all of you should desire to uh, have a special gift of prophecy. Do all prophesy? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. In other words, desire the gifts as a body. Each person that's a believer has a spiritual gift. If you don't know what yours is, you need to look at the notes from last week, which has a list of 19 spiritual gifts. Some of them, as simple as the gift of helps. People that just are always there to I'll pitch in. I'll help with that. The gift of encouragement, the gift of giving. There's all kinds of gifts. Everybody's got at least one. Some have more. We're going to quit for now because we completed the chapter, but remember that love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, not an emotion. It's a verb. You just do it. And even when I don't deserve it, I hope you'll still love me and I'll do my best to do the same with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this. You are, first. John says, God is love. How beautiful is that? So we are sort of knocked down by this whole thing in a good way, in awe of the love that you've shown us. May we learn, God, that these characteristics of love, patience, and kindness, may we learn that those are all available to us in the Holy Spirit to the extent we submit And obey you, Father. And to the extent that we step out in love and just love the unlovely and the unlovable by just giving love away as a verb, not a feeling. Thank you that you loved us enough to die for us, Jesus Christ, and that you were patient and kind with us. May we do the same with those around us. We can't wait to see you face to face, Father, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, there's work to do use us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. They're waiting for that moment. And those of you on Zoom, thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next time.